the UK, broadcasting around the world. Around the world. You're listening to the Mike Drop Club, hosted by Douglas Hamandiche. Message received. Message received. You do not need to know what you need. What you need. Just engage with the podcast feed. Just engage with the podcast feed. Providing weekly insights into cool stuff we've read, saw, did, or heard about what made us say, wow, eureka, damn, nothing is off limits. If it motivates and inspires you to reach your goals, then it shall be discussed. Featuring guest interviews from high performers and people of influence and weekly awards for the best mic drop moment. This podcast is guaranteed to leave you pumped up for the week ahead. Don't just live life, make life boom. Good morning, people. Welcome to another episode of the Mic Drop Club with your host, Douglas Hammond DJ. Today it is an international affair. I've been blessed, I've been honored to welcome to the stage or to the platform Simon Belalusov. I, I really hope I pronounced his name correctly because this is a titan in terms of thought leadership, in terms of digital transformation. His experience spans almost over 15 years across different industries regulated, unregulated health, gaming, uh, financial services, entertainment and sports, telecommunications as well. So he comes to the table with a vast amount of experience to share with us all the challenges and the the must-dos and don't-dos when it comes to transforming services, enterprise services. So this is what I've been trying to tee up for quite a while now. And Simon's based in Australia, I do believe. And so we do have this um, time difference. So I apologize in advance if they have any connectivity issues. Simon's happy to engage. It's very early for me to do this um, podcast, but I'm super pumped up, super psyched up to get this out for you guys to share and embrace. And the NHS really needs these conversations at the highest level to filter down throughout the whole organization when it comes to digital transformation. Myth busting, what can we do to improve it? What are the, what are the challenges and hurdles that we need to overcome to deliver on the mandate which we need in health. Okay, so that being said, Simon, how are you doing? And welcome to the Mic Drop Club. Douglas, hello. Hello, listeners. Welcome. Um, tuning in or speaking live or live-ish as you can on the podcast from Sydney, Australia in the afternoon. Really looking forward to having a great conversation about transformation and the opportunities um, in the health space. Oh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So... Over here, it's 20 to 7 in the morning. What is your time there, Simon? It's right at 20 to 4 in the uh, Saturday afternoon. Um, it's a little bit overcast outside. We're just about to uh, have some rain, but I'm kind of sitting overlooking my backyard, seeing some bush and some trees. So we're all ready to go. Oh, wow. 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 And so, yeah, in terms of the the pandemic, how is it affecting? Um, I'm assuming you're still in Australia. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we've got a version of uh, lockdown, although nowhere near as, um, I think, as extreme or uh, imposing, impactful as it was in the UK. Yeah. Um, we're working through uh, Melbourne and Victoria, working through a, a spike. Um, and in Sydney, uh, we continue to be what I'd call vigilant. So we're kind of tracking in that 20, 30 new cases related to clusters um, on a daily basis. 
um, and just trying to get everybody to wash their hands. Who would have thought? Wash your hands. Can you imagine? Wear a mask, <laughs> uh, physical distance. Um, yeah. you know, it's almost back to the future from a health space around uh, hand washing and um, um, some really interesting stats, though, they released around the difference in flu um, passing. Yep. So one of the, um, I guess, unintended bonus side impacts of COVID is that I think if you looked at Australia this time last year, it was tracking about 400 deaths on average from the flu, the seasonal flu. Um, and at the moment, I think nationally it's about down at 30. Oh, wow. Well, that's a good and trend. That's a trend in the right direction. Yeah, and that's all down to the same thing. So washing your hands, not going to work or school when you're, you know, you've got the symptoms, yes. um, the physical distancing, the spacing, all those kinds of things. Um, so, but yeah, um, it's it's a version of adjustment to a new, new normal, whatever that may become or be and how long it takes. And I think you, you've led that um, quite well in terms of a, a, a new way of doing things, a, a new um, set of circumstances brought about by a pandemic, a global pandemic. This has been, I guess, in the transformation space that we reside in, a compelling an event that has helped stimulate some of the conversations around digital transformation and why we have to do this and think about it, about it in a far more serious way. It certainly has. Um, look, I, and like yourself, would have probably appreciated if we hadn't needed a live, uncontrolled global biological experiment um, being played out on us to trigger some of these conversations. Um, but if it, if it kind of, I guess, moves forward the opportunity around digital transformation, experience-led customer transformation and innovation, um, customer-centric, um, you know, patient-centric, um, methods. I think that is certainly a positive for all of us. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we'd rather not be right in the middle of history right now and playing it out live. We'd rather, you know, be able to look back and say, you know, this is what happened and whatever else that's fine. But we, we'd certainly all like to have this past, I think. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, so how did you become a thought leader in digital transformation? It's one of those, it's, 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 it's a niche to reach, the zenith in that position, you know? So what was your journey like in terms of being in transformation? Well, I'd like to say it's linear, but it hasn't been. Um, I, you know, I'll look back and I'll, I'll do recast, but I've just been fortunate to have a, a natural curiosity. And that curiosity is, is kind of, I guess, manifested itself around how I think around how do I improve, uh, improve myself? How do, how do I make things better? Um, what are the new things? So I've, I've, I've had this natural affinity around um, improvement, um, what you would call innovation, and then that kind of has led around technologies. Uh, I'm an engineer. If, if you look at kind of a, I've got the pragmatic <laughs> manufacturing engineer. Um, so, again, with my vintage or tenure, um, a lot of my kind of focus in there was Japanese Yes. Manufacturing. Exactly. So total quality control and Kaizen and everything. And, and for those who've been around and, and have studied that really, uh, agile software development and digital practices are effectively, um, taking the learnings 
and the approaches and the methodologies of um, those Japanese methods and applying them in a different domain, digital technology, software experience. So that kind of started off. Um, I, I was, I've been fortunate to, um, you know, I was doing an MBA. I happened to be in New York uh, in 1999. So let's call it the zenith of the first tech boom. Um, complete by that, that really is, I guess, a, a turning point for me. So complete the MBA, come back to Australia, and then have been in a series of different uh, digital innovation startup and then enterprise transformation opportunities. Um, they kind of start off in digital because um, back in the day, you kind of had physical channels and person assisted channels. Um, but I've just been really fortunate to, to kind of leverage those. And it's interesting when um, people and organizations talk to me about transformation, because I come at it from the innovation lens. Okay. okay. And then bring the learning. So if you like, I'm, I'm, I'm that guy who um, in my roles, I do a lot of bridge connection. So typically an organization, I'm the bridge between business and technology or customer facing and, and IT infrastructure. Um, but I'm also the bridge between enterprises and startups and startups oh, wow. and enterprises. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm a bit of a pack rat. What happens <laughs> is you get good at, at grabbing stuff from your history and go, yeah. Oh, you know, well, in this, uh, 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 I was in this business or this company or, or this startup and, you know, this worked really well. So we should grab that and put it into here. Um, I've also been, I think, um, fortunate to be part of several waves of innovation in the last, let's call it 20 years or so. So um, the mobile um, innovation, so being in mobile industry just pre-iPhone and then leveraging iPhone the usability of that, the intuitive of that, as well as extra bandwidth and just kind of riding that wave, um, as well as now more recently around data analytics. Um, and it's just so interesting that the, the capability of, of data enablement, probably talk a bit more during yeah. the show about that. Um, it's kind of everything we do with smoke and mirrors and digital around personalization um, now you're able to do it with the data analytics. So yeah. um, it's just an interesting ride. Uh, excellent, because there's a lot of um, variation. As you said, your path has been not exactly linear. And I would just want to um, demonstrate the synergy between um, me and you. My background is mechatronics engineering, um, a Japanese um, term course I did um, spanning I think four years it took me to, um, to complete that mechatronics. So again, the fusion of all engineering disciplines allows us to t approach everything from that systemic viewpoint, which I think is unique. At the time I was thinking, oh my God, what am I doing here in, in this space? But again, it's, it's, it's that magpie type approach where you take things and you, you I recognize you're the collagen between two bones, the connector, you know, between systems and, you know, um, it's a very um, difficult path to walk on sometimes, though, in terms of managing, I guess, the different skill sets that you have to always be um, um, up to speed on in order for you to influence um, a, a sector in terms of what you're talking about. You have to know that sector and know how another sector can embrace that and how the people who are the driving force operate as well from a humanistic 
um, perspective. So which is your biggest challenge in terms of um, transformation? Would you say it's the, the, the people, the technology, the process? Um, I think if you, if, if you look at that as a kind of three kind of areas or domains, mm-hmm. um, I, li- I like to say now that the technology is complex but controllable. Most organisations have the capability to deliver projects, even complex technology-related projects. But more and more, I think the opportunity, the challenge is around uh, people and process, in particular leading with the people part um, Mm. and, and moving past a mindset of we put the technology platform in, it solves all our problems, um, it sets us up, uh, we do a set piece change. So we do a big bang kind of change program. Um, and we don't have to come back to this space for three to five years <laughs> that, you know, that doesn't reflect the, the dynamics in the market demands from, from customer and just the, you know, the speed of innovation generally in market. Um, and, and I think what is undervalued, I certainly see, and, and again, you progress, um, you progress from the technology, to the people and processes, the opportunity is around to start with the people piece and to spend the maximum amount of time you can in a transformation program on what I might call the people factors. So what are the real capabilities um, that you need to be future fit? Not the roles, not the, you know, the tenure or the, the job title, but what are the underlying capabilities? What's the way of working we want to set up? Uh, do we need to be connected, agile? How does that change our governance process, our funding models? Um, how are we going to be organized and structured? There's a lot more emphasis now on delivery of end-to-end teams. So you're delivering a customer journey or a patient journey. And so you need a team that includes the, you know roles or capabilities for everybody who delivers to that journey, uh, one team yep. method. Um, and much more of a connection around end-to-end. So end-to-end delivery, connected teams working together. Um, but I certainly think it's around that, that people, that is the real, continues to be the real opportunity. Um, beyond what I might call functional capability to almost this, this non-functional. So how do I get the teams to fit together? Yeah. Um, and then more importantly, being mindful that um, we're in uh, innovation mode. So we're in a, uh, evolving or continue to evolve and grow. Um, that's the kind of transformation we want to get to. So I need to be able to get my teams, my people to be able to evolve ongoing, sustainably at scale. Well, so it's just you and yeah. it's just you and I, yeah. Douglas. Yeah. Um, and, and that was the size of the business. And we're already connected because we're just two people and we can focus and align together. Um, and we can get on with stuff, but in, uh, you know, any kind of enterprise size organization, you're looking to kind of create these connected groups or connected teams of hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of individuals who can relatively speaking evolve ongoing sustainably together. Sure. And, so- you know, you know, I put that down, that's one of the modern leadership challenges, right? That's that's correct, and I and I would ask you, how do you go out? As I've as I've grown in trans, the transformation space, I've seen that power is no longer residing at the top of hierarchical structures. You know, um, this whole top down 
delivery of technology is is changing. So there these pockets that you find of influencers that that might not stereotypically be classified as a key stakeholder in a, in a mm-hmm. typical project transformation piece, but they're the ones that have the influence. And how do you go about finding these these pockets? of should I say best practice within the organization or or innovative um, um, mindsets so that you can use them to drive that transformation piece across the whole organization? I think you've got to be alert for the signals. So those individuals and teams send out the signals that they are open to new things. So they'll probably be the ones who come along to hear the pitch yeah. or, or do the training off their own back. Who, who read. So they, th- those, there are signals that kind of um, display themselves that you have to be alert. And over time you become better at, at picking them up and better at being aware of what they are and what they mean. Um, ask people, right? Cause there's always be a version of go and see Douglas about that new thing. Yeah. Or we always go to see Douglas um, and you can work that out. I think what's confronting and you talked about it from a hierarchy perspective is that if you've still got an industrial, what I call an industrial mass production kind of mindset. So as a leader, you're into command control and direction. You're really challenged because what we're talking about is more of a creative, you know, you can call it information age, or I like to call it creative thinking industrial thinking, creative thinking, and in that creative thinking um, kind of environment or approach, you, you need to use different approaches. And it's all about how do we create environments where teams of people can creatively problem solve, align, work together, work out how they're going to do the work and deliver without essentially interference and with the you know, the, the least possible kind of impact from organizational friction or forces. Well, yeah, that's, that's so true. The, the, that friction you're talking about is so telling because in the early days when I was a champion user for technology, you would, you would, you would know there's a barrier, there's a ledge that you couldn't go beyond in terms of your own influence. You, typically you could not influence that to sea level discussion. And, um, this whole, I remember going on to a ward and trying to encourage the nurses to, um, digit, to around digit, a digitization of a process. And health is a very hierarchical environment, consultant led right down to, no, I wouldn't say down, it should be flat, but I'm just saying down for the purpose of the conversation, down to someone, somebody like a, a healthcare assistant in terms of um, accountability and responsibility, at least. So, if when I was a newly qualified nurse, I remember doing this project and um, I was trying to speak to a, a band six nurse who was high up than myself. And straight away, the pool rank, <laughs> straight away, the pool rank, um, the close up, because again, technology has this ability of de-skilling people, at least in the itch room, until you get, get to understand how to fully use it. You get the training, your confidence, and you become mature and all of those things. So when we were digitizing um, medical records, as it were, a lot of highly skilled nurses, consultants presented that friction, presented that resistance. And um, that's one of my, my own um, observations. I, I didn't feel the support around managing the friction because I, th- I think at the senior level, 
the NHS at that time particularly was very much like an industrial um, Henry Ford plant. We're going to knock out these cars and blah, 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 you know. Um, so, hey, again, how would you manage, how, 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 what sort of approaches do you use now to ensure that, um, a smoothing in, smoothing off of that friction? Yeah, and it's not to say that um, that industrial thinking wasn't better than what preceded it, because it was. It's just Good that point. we're in a different place now. Yeah. And we're evo- we can go to another level and we can be better than that. We can deliver better experiences. So I think that's certainly the, the piece. It, it's kind of like, um, you know, one of my things is, right, don't get bogged down in the history. You, you, we're here to build the new. Um, as a leader, as, as you would know, it's a, you need to be very mindful of your impact, but also you have to be the neutral sound of positivity, right? Because yeah. it's a scary, it can be a scary journey, right? But it, it is a, certainly in my experience, what happens is um, the, the, the resistance, right? You end up in a much better place. This is the part, you know, we talk about innovation, transformation, or the, you end up in um, doing more, being better from an experience closer, more personalized, the whole environment is much, much better than it was. Um, but you have to gently lead. It can't be a threatening kind of impact. Yeah. Um, the, there's a part around, I think also, um, not, not using the direct, you know, showing that demonstrating that it's not about cutting heads. You know, this, this is not restructure. It's about a better experience, leading your people. We will be here confident along the way, but also showing your persistence and resilience that we are going down a pathway to a better world. This is what the world looks like. You've got to do your storytelling around the vision, um, have consistent messaging, be honest and authentic about it, but also that you're on that pathway and you're going to continue on that pathway. Um, it's really interesting now around so much is not what you do, but how you go about it. That's, that's what I have also talked in my narrative. So digital transformation, customer trans, these big, what, what the strategic consultants lived on in the, let's call it in the eighties and nineties where there wasn't the internet, there wasn't all this proliferation of media and knowledge that you could easily tap into. So simply understanding, you know, benchmarking and, you should be doing this customer transformation thing with human centered design and closer. Nobody really knew about that. So that was their value add so much now is because we're in that people phase, the technology and tools enablement ways of working. It's really around how you go about business, right? Correct. So, um, uh, my team has to be structured in a certain way. I'm going to work with you in a certain way. Um, we're going to be visible and open and transparent about, what you're doing, what I'm doing. We're going to work together for the goals. We're going to do a lot of test and learn or as well as kind of marking how well we're doing. Um, we'll be open about improvement, uh, things we did well, things we didn't do so well, opportunities the next time. Um, if you like, it's almost like we're going to be true adults. <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to be accountable and responsible. Yeah. All right. Yes. And, and that, that, for some people who are, who actually are comfortable in the command control direct environment, that's very confronting. And, 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 you know, 
for some of those, if the opportunity, that is the on the bus, off the bus kind of conversation. But what I've found is people actually surprise you and that if you create the environment, this openness, more openness around the environment, it takes time. Um, but this can, this openness around, oh, you really are, we are developing experiences and you are going to support me with training and some new people who are master practitioners might come in, but it's not the totally the old crew out, new crew in. Um, and you know what? I feel better about what I'm doing. And now I see how my work impacts the customer and makes a difference. Yeah. And yeah. that, that more and more people like the, the, I think in my experience, the number of people who are really uncomfortable or don't like working in that environment is actually a very small number. Um, mm. that, that more and more, I used to think it was the people, did the people would, did the people, was there a capability gap or they weren't, but now I look at it, it's like, well, you have to, you have to, you have to test the environment because the environment drives behavior of the people and much more around, let's change mm. the environment. What's happening in the environment, um, that we create in the workplace or in the innovation space and, and uh, to understand what the, what the impact of that is. Sure. And, and, and that's a big piece of work. In fact, um, taking a look of the, on, on the environment, when you typically look at uh, a traditional transformation piece of work, there's not a lot of room on, in the project plan for um, observation. Just getting in there and observing. It's literally from launch, kickoff, it's bang, 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 bang to obviously deployment and maybe post implementation review, but it's literally, and I think there's an element whereby uh, this is where the engineering side of things come in, into this, in the sense of understanding the environment, the context of where this transformation is taking place, the environment, the environmental factors, the actual weather, as you start the conversation, what's the weather like in your, so that sets the scene was to have a conversation and so people understand. So I think when we when we we're doing this transformation, a lot more work needs to be done in understanding people's dynamics and maybe influencing the culture before you actually can to, to support the transformation because the culture remains the same. It could potentially have an impact on the, the benefits being realized through the transformation piece. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I think part, part of that is also around that the, the transformation, um, it, you need your internal capability. So you might need consultants and external contractors to kind of get it started and support you from a training perspective. But really, if you're not looking to build internal capability, then I think you're missing a real opportunity. Yeah. Um, because if you can't, so much of this now is the core to your uh, business or your organizational go-to-market or your service proposition. So you're effectively outsourcing your strategic advantage. So it's kind of kind of crazy when you yeah. think about it. Yeah, yeah. you only need you, you don't need a lot of these kinds of people, but you do need some of them. You need to build your internal capability and really think about that. The other part is around. Um, like the best transformation programs I've been a part of contributed to. Um, we didn't have the concept of a separate transformation team. It was actually in the organization or in the lines of business. 
And by doing that, you, you know, you're inside, you're not an outsider because in, in other programs, you're forever the, that outside team or that transformation team. Um, and you just, it's very hard in that way. You can do, deliver a project like that, but to, to have it ongoing and sustainable and continuing to evolve, you really need to be inside. Yeah. So, um, those are some of the things that I think you really need to, to watch out about, but certainly about building internal, the right kind of internal capability. Yeah. Um, so, so you have to really immerse yourself really in, in, in the culture of the organization to fully understand um, how it operates and how to influence it really. So it's yeah. good to your reconnaissance. <laughs> have to go in there and have the mindset to like infiltrate, like the, the most important person in the war is typically the, the spy, isn't it? You have to get in there and understand how how the the opposition is operating. You know, well, yeah, absolutely, you need the right intelligence, right? And one of the things is you've got to be able to peel away the storytelling, yeah, um, yeah, and un- understand what the reality is. And the other other piece, I think, around that storytelling, it's it's not it, it's to understand from a maturity perspective because the words can be all the same, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and agile is a classic. Oh, I, I won't pick on agile. But <laughs> almost any organization now says, oh, we're working agile or we got yeah. enterprise agile or yeah. stuff like that. Um, but you know, the, from the language, you would think they're doing it kind of good to great, but a lot of those organizations, um, cause I've seen on a handful of occasions, great agile, like really impressive agile and being a part of standing that capability up in, in a small number of organizations, most times it's ordinary average, but people think they're operating good to great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's the other thing it's around, well, you know, let's be honest here where we're, we're talking the language of a maturity, say on a, a five, we're, we're talking five star maturity when we're kind of one star. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. that buzzword isn't agile. <laughs> so, so, and, and I think, you know, if you honestly, rate yourself as we need to get to five star and honestly say we're at one star or two star, we've got, we've got work to do. then that's actually a great acknowledgement. And because then you can go, okay, so this is what we need to do to go from two star to five star. And then you can be reasonable about the timeline. Right? So the reality is to get from whatever, where we are today to where we need to be, we we need, it's a multi-year program. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You, 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 and so we just got, um, you know, the ground is around, uh, it, it is around, you know, in the appropriate language, getting the organization or the leaders to realize the reality of where you're trying to get to and where we are today. Excellent points. And, um, it just keep keeping the same, the same, same, um, same theme, you know, are there any tips for, particularly around for the, for the health services that want to embrace customer experiences? For example, I was trained many moons ago at, that I'm the practitioner. I know what's good for the patient. Yeah. As you, as you've been alluding to in this conversation, the customer's needs are changing. Their, 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 their experience is key and no more important is that that true than in the health space, whereby the, that model of 
um, the authoritative um, powers, power dynamic between the clinician and the patient is shifting because they're coming to receive care with a tremendous amount of knowledge <laughs> and experience. Sometimes I'm humbled by the, um, the knowledge a patient will have in around a diagnosis, in and around a treatment. Um, so when we're trying to drive um, transformation in that environment, whether it's software, process, or even behaviors, what sort of examples, maybe outside of NHS, outside of the health system that we can start to think about to then understanding and embracing the customer experience? Great, great topic. Uh, I think one of the most inter interesting things I think around health systems globally is that the the language or the description of them would kind of make you think they're patient centric. When you actually when you actually look at the system or processes or how they actually work, um, they're pretty much provider centric, right? So they're provider or facility um, centric, um, and uh, often the, the doctors and the specialists are the king of the castle, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, 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 but often not, it's not kind of necessarily, um, communicated that explicitly until you're part of the system and then you realize, okay, it's not really patient centric. It's okay. <laughs> um, I, I think there's a, there's a, there's a number of things, um, like as a general kind of guiding principle, as a focus on, on what you're trying to do. I think there's a part around just looking at simple, fast and easy. Like what are we trying to do? We're trying everything, every interaction we have, every, um, let's call it, uh, user, user interface that we build, um, every conversation we have or, or every engagement we have, we're trying to make it as simple as we can, as fast as we can and as easy as we can. So, if you're reading something on a screen, it has to be intuitive in design on design. Yeah. Um, so th there's a lot around that simple, fast and easy as a kind of, let's call it a guiding principle about what we're trying to do in general, uh, remove friction, remove complexity, um, and focus on when, what we need to focus on. So no more, but no less. Yeah. It's really hard, I think, but, but that one I've kind of, kind of landed on. Um, the what happens then if you then take it to think about experiences we're not about products or services we're about what's the experience um that the end customer or the patient um actually wants right so and and the one people talk to me well how do you differentiate products and service experience what are we talking about here um it's around that emotional piece. Often you think about the emotion considered with what you're doing. Yes. Um, so, you know, are we, are we trying to, you know, like if you're a pharmaceutical company, what are we doing? Are we developing drugs? And what we do is we sell drugs, you know, pharmaceutical drugs, medicine, to, or are we delivering well-being? Yeah. Um, and we're removing the fear of disease. Um, those are the kind it's, it's one of the things is trying to get that mind shift going like that, because once you go to experiences, you have a couple of things, you've got a much wider space to play in. Yeah. True. True. Um, and what you can do is innovate as you go. So you can kind of check in and say, are we still delivering to that kind of experience vision? Um, yes, but we can go down this, how are we doing it at the moment? Well, we're, we're delivering this kind of, um, you know, this kind of medicine, 
but maybe in future it's this kind of treatment or this kind of home care, everything. You can kind of, kind of play in a wider, wider space. And that's one of the things uh, I think really should be um, brought into more of the health kind of area and the thinking. Um, move to a, a, a world of co-creation. So it's patient and providers or patients and doctors or patients, doctors, nurses. So you co- you're co-creating the outcome. It's not so it's not a one kind of coming from the, the let's call it the perceived expert. Um, and like everything, once you have this co-creation, something I think magical happens generally is that um, you can re- re- get free from the burden, burden of perfection. So one of the things about doctors is uh, um, if you're the one that's kind of driving healthcare as they do, then essentially you've got this burden of perfection. I need to be right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm telling the patient to do this. Um, if you move to co-creation, you actually have a kind of free to freer space around. You can actually admit when you're not quite as right as you could be. True. Um, you can understand that, um, you know, treatment protocols is actually a range. We all like to think there's just one way to do things, but there's actually a range of, uh, treatment protocols that are personalized to the individual. You can co-create. So I think, I think there's, shifting that gives you, it's much freer. You know, you're, you're, again, you remove this friction of there's only one way to do it. I know the way to do it. You're going to do it. Sure. And it's a lesson uh, go, I guess, from the clinical aspect. So I think there's something there about um, re-educating the educators because there's always a shortfall of health professionals from doctors to nurses. And so if the universities or these institutions that train um, these people are still teaching in the old methodology that you're always going to be right, you have this paternalistic view on the patient. When they come into work in, in, in um, into a health environment, they're not best placed to support the transformation because they still come in with the old mindset. You know, they might be newly qualified, but they still have this old mindset but I really liked your point about the collaboration piece I think the co-creation is so so vital I see that more within say mental health services where it's more therapeutic talking and engaging on that type of level than I do in maybe the acute sector when you got somebody's coming with a fracture you know need to um, give you a um, plaster cast on your leg and it's got to be off in 10, 10 um, eight to 10 weeks, whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, it's certainly co-creation that that really um, hit a, um, a, a nerve for me because that is what I believe it's all about. I was going to ask you again about um, you know benef- the benefits realization around user experience um, whereby the, the ambiguity now, as you as you rightfully pointed out, when you start to talk about user experiences, you can you could take it, it expands in terms of what you could measure. And then sometimes there's challenges of what then do you measure? How then do you guarantee that the transformation is providing the right outcomes? Yeah, I think the the part there is when you have a starting context, right? Yeah. So, um, and that becomes a good basis. Um, the part there is right. If you move into connected feedback, test and learn mode, um, it's around this openness. Well, 
how we're going to use test and learn. We're going to use a more connected and timely feedback loop to evolve whether we're how right or wrong we are. Um, so, so much of it remains, you know, in terms of mindset is, um, we do this, we'll get this, we'll get the outcome and we won't have to change what we're doing generally, mm. um, to get that outcome and that out, the successful outcomes that we want to get, we'll kind of be able to do the same thing, kind of mouse wheel it, if you like, repetitively, yeah. almost indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the part around is again, this removal of the friction, right? So there's some things to play around. Well, how much better can we be? What happens if we tweak this or that or extend kind of the, the framework? It, it's interesting around benchmarks and KPIs, right? Or targets. Yeah. Um, cause for some reason, the targets often seem to be met, right? Yeah, there's there's a misogyny taking place somewhere. <laughs> yeah, so so so, uh, and I think it's more interesting what would be the outcome, and and it's 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 around. Well, well, let's take the target away. Let's go. Well, how how good could we be? Yeah. What are what are the best um, you know customer experience when, when you're selling, say, in retail or something? You've kind of got a more visible KPI, right? So, but let's go like how um let's take away a target and go um we'll we'll survey customers we'll get customer feedback how much advocacy can we actually drive it's not the incremental target that we we want that we're constraining ourselves with because it's probably an artificial constraint right it's i think it's a bit like advertising i've I've come i've come into your balance with target setting um you know the story about advertising where 50% of it is wasted and 50% is effective but i don't know which part of the 50% <laughs> is that i'm spending dollar now is kind of in which bucket um and i think again if you set a target or or you're overly fixated on targets your people will get good at making those targets yeah achieving those targets um and you won't quite know whether that target um has driven the outcomes and behaviors as best as they could be. Sure. Sure. Yeah. One of the mind, yeah. One of the mindset things I think to, to look at from your people capability, um, and you can use testing and, you know, you can use testing and, and is people's mindsets and are they the, I will do the least I can get away with, or do I come in and go, I, and we, we're going to get, do the, the, you know, be the best we can be. We're going to, we're going to get the most we can. And, and again, you don't want, you don't, you know, they're like on a balance beam, right? People will fit in between that, but you certainly want more kind of open-mindedness kind of people who want to be the, the best that we can be as a team, as a function, as a hospital, as a organization. And what do we need to do? to be the best that we can be as a collective and driving these minds, you know, driving these mindset shifts. Um, you know, one of the things you see it in sporting teams, right? You can see, you know, it's a team of champions or a champion team. Yeah. And they have, they have very strong principles, very clear set of values. Um, and some of those things might not be quantifiable, like in terms of like, um, it might be that win-win type mentality, but in terms of how that translates in health, I think it's more to do knowing that you're doing the right thing 
and seeing what comes out of it. I think that's that's the, the biggest thing uh, I'm I'm getting out of that. If you you can measure some things, but some things you don't know. I'll, I'll give you an example for myself. I didn't know Amazon might actually be recorded might record this as a metrics, but I didn't know there's for me there's an emotional attachment with me receiving parcels from Amazon. You know, <laughs> the the joy, the expectation, the packaging. It's a whole new ball game for me. Until I'll go on YouTube and I see there's videos, hundreds of thousands of videos, probably millions actually, of views on videos of people opening, unpacking things, opening parcels, <laughs> opening <laughs> something that they've ordered. And so... With transformation, the definition of transformation is also looking at the capabilities of your staff um, and um, making best use of technology. But it's also introducing new revenue streams and new things that you've never perceived before. So in a transformation um, project initiative, there will be that unknown component there because you're introducing something that has never been done before. If it's truly transformational. Yes, you should overachieve, right? That's, yeah, that's the kind of the, these are the these are the um, let's call it the hidden upside, and you should be banking on this kind of non-visible or hidden upside that comes along. Um, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, right now, I don't see any. It's an interesting. It's a great time, interesting time in terms of innovate. I don't see a a, a boundary to the innovation frontier. Mm. So in my experience, what I see is if organizations invest in doing the right thing by their customer set, um, do it prudently, they, they do the right thing by customer, you know, customers are happy and you can get more value in whatever value you kind of ascribe to within your organization. Um, so you get these virtuous cycles to so keep doing it, mm-hmm. um, do, do the right thing by your customer yeah. set. You get, you create more value. So you do more things right by the customer. You get more value created. There seems to be no boundary to that at the moment. Um, no, no kind of visible boundary to that. Um, the visible boundary is actually, or the, the constraint is actually, I think the organization and people and mindset, not believing that they can kind of extract more value. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a, yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you on that one. There's a limitation sometimes. People do hold back in, in terms of the potential they have to um, introduce a value chain that um, far exceeds their expectations. And like, we want to grow, but we don't want to grow so much. It has to be like two, two, three, five percent every year. We, we're not ready for the truly transformation piece. Um, it's, it's, it's very interesting um, concept and, and a good way of, of looking at it from particularly within the health environment. Um, we spoke before about these 13 leadership <laughs> sins and I'm not too sure how quick you are or like fire them off, but I, could, I, I got the list here and it is, it is fantastic. It is, it is truly fantastic. And I'm very conscious of your time. <laughs> Can we go through them? Absolutely. So just to let everybody who's listening understand. <laughs> so I've kind of packaged up um, kind of a whole bunch of mindsets and approaches um, that I've seen over time 
um, displayed particularly by leaders, but also in organizations. And these are um, things that you shouldn't do. Right. Like so, so before you start, so before you start, Simon, I need to introduce it properly yeah? because this, this is massive. This is massive, right? <laughs> if you're going to take anything away from this podcast, I want you to understand the 13 leadership sins of enterprise digital transformation, right? So we're going to introduce this with our traditional mic drop sound, which I'm going to give to Simon for his contribution as he runs through the 13. So let's do it after this. Okay, guys, everybody ready? Atomic Mic Drop. Right, Simon, the floor is yours. <laughs> All right. So number one, yeah. bright, shiny, what I call bright, shiny toy syndrome. So the latest, greatest software platform, yeah. that's all we need to do. Um, and that will deliver everything that we want from the transformation. And we basically, an organization continuously repeats this cycle. So probably what you see here is software vendors meeting with C-level executives and suddenly this new technology platform just gets kind of put in. Yeah. And everybody's, everybody's going, what happened there? <laughs> we don't really need that. Um, number two, I call it executive FOMO. Yep. FOMO in terms of fear of missing out. And so this is the one where um, often an, a leader will go to a event or a lunch or a dinner and there'll be a conversation around the table. Um, and maybe it goes like this. Um, oh, we've got this great AI uh, platform working. Oh, we've got AI doing this. We've got AI doing that. And the, there's an individual, your executive, who has missed out. So it's like every other enterprise has this. Yeah. We need to have it. No connection to the, your own business, what you're trying to do. It's like everybody else has got it. Yeah. We need to have yeah, it. We need to have so, that. Yeah. And there are many chief execs who are guilty of that. There are many directors who are guilty of going to these events, bringing back something because you, someone introduced you to some, a piece of technology or something. Next thing you know, why don't we have it? We need to have it. And yeah, it's rolled out at pace and yeah, the, the results are, yeah, should I say die in most parts? <laughs> okay. Uh, so number three, I call it the Silicon Valley IFO. So fly yep. in, fly out. Yep. So again, um, leaders or people in your organization, they do a short visit. So literally fly in, fly out, might be a day, might be a week. They go to this leading digi data tech organization. Um, and then they, they can kind of, from that time period, they've seen what they need to do. So that's all you need. Digital transformation. Uh, I went to Google. I saw standups. Yeah. They were working with post-it notes. That's all we need to do. And it's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Um, number four is, is the champions of yesteryear. So we've been successful in the past. We already know how to do this. Yeah. Um, and digital and the, the customer experience innovation world we're in at the moment, it really is a paradigm shift. A lot of the approaches are actually not just incremental approaches. They're actually, you were going left. We need to go right. 
they're significant. Um, and success in the past doesn't guarantee success for the future. Yeah, I'm not too um, sure if you know about Australia. I don't know if it's true in Australia, but if our high street in the UK has been decimated with companies that have that philosophy, yeah, we were, we were big last year and, um, <laughs> and we can continue with the same model and um, unfortunately that's not that's not the case that's not the case at all obviously everyone talks about Blockbuster even companies like Skype you know we're, we're here doing this call I think via Zoom but this is a platform that Skype was dominating and had the, the leverage pre-coronavirus should I say um, but yeah it's a shifting landscape <laughs> you know champions of yesterday uh, and then following on, there's number five, I call it the A-team already. Um, yeah. We have the best people with the best capability now. We don't have to build more or new capability. Yeah. So again, it's this kind of unrealistic assumption around we're already great. Um, you may be, but chances are you're going to have to have some new capability somewhere. And this is kind of this kind of mindset of, no, we don't need to build capability at all. Um, Number six is probably what you see in your IT teams. I call it code your own adventure. So your technology teams are thinking we're going to build, integrate, and maintain as much of the end-to-end tech stack, the technology stack, as we can today and tomorrow. So what what you really got here is technology, um, your technology team, your IT team saying, well, um, you know, we're, we're we're the globally best IT team at... Um, platform integrations at data platforms, at building cloud systems, at all of these, and they can't be. Mm. In fact, what's great about the modern world, you talk about ecosystem, is you can, what I call focus. So the reason you go to vendors or a, an Amazon web services and use their kind of commoditized infrastructure is that you can focus on where you really add real value. But it's amazing, IT teams, you know, this is a one version of... Um, no, we won't do it yeah. their way. We'll do it our way. And it yeah. just builds in complexity <laughs> all the way through. Um, number seven is story ta- storytelling fairy tales. Yeah. So this isn't that you, you can't storytell the vision to your people, but this is where you basically front run it. So you tell a story that is so far from the reality of where you are and what you need to do that basically your people after a while don't believe it anymore. <laughs> so it becomes a fairy tale that you never get, you know, there is no kind of happy ending in that fairy tale. Right. Um, and it just sucks the engagement of your people and their energy and passion away. Um, number eight, the Kings and Queens of the Royal court. So it's interesting that, um, you know, this language around customer centricity, patient centricity, etc. but you know, a lot of organizations will kind of do or, or they'll pass on that opportunity to recenter around customers and essentially they'll remain internally focused like a, a royal court. Yeah. So they organize around the senior leaders. The senior leaders make all the decision making and they set the KPIs and customers are kind of only a, a secondary thought. So it, it does look like a real court in a royal court in the end. Um, number nine is falling for the magician's illusion. I like this. And this one. is really this, this over reliance on external consultants 
and external vendors and their perspectives and you don't believe enough in the capability of your own people. Brilliant. Um, I love that one. I love that one. And if I may humbly add it to that one, because I, I saw it, I thought, wow, that's brilliant. And I, I like to call it the Don Quixote of De La Mancha paradox. <laughs> you know, that external validation that you always need before you actually move forward. You know, someone needs to make me a knight. Someone needs to knight me before I can prove to the world I am a knight. You know, um, yeah, it is... That that for me <laughs> is a story of my life in transformation, working with different companies. They because this is why we have um, consultancies, <laughs> and it's not that it's it's not that you don't use them, right? But that you you take it that everything they say is exactly what you need to do, and you just do not do not um, I guess believe what you know what you see in front of you, you just, you just fall for a kind of a, a lot of, um, uh, consultant trickery. Um, there is another one I was thinking about on that one, which is around, um, uh, and often you see it with relationship seller sellers or relationship salesmen where they use too much FUD. So they use fear, uncertainty and doubt yeah. to, you know, convert people. And that's really around this magician's illusions and this kind of, kind of kind of smoke and mirrors about kind of what the outcome should be. Um, number 10, as easy as one size fits all. So this is one around where your leadership says we'll personalize for each and every one of our customers yeah. as long as they continue to buy exactly what we offer them. <laughs> so there's actually no personalization really in there. There's just targeted segmentation. Effectively. Yeah. So um, number 11, uh, and you'll love this, Douglas, I'm sure it's this one around all wrapped up and finished by Christmas. <laughs> so we're going to complete this transformation. It's going to be, we're going to be done with it quickly. Yeah. Um, and then we can kind of get on with our business. Yeah. I, I see um, that a lot. I lot. And I, I literally, I, I get so frustrated when I see it end to a project plan and post implementation, post implementation support is maybe two or three months after just to get user feedback. Yet, uh, outside of health, we're constantly updating our mobile phones because the iterations, because they're introducing new features based upon the user experience. And that's something I really want to um, drive home in terms of software companies providing um, solutions for health. You need to stick with it way for a longer period after deployment. You know, and constantly change and adapt it based upon how the how it's currently used in real life scenarios. <laughs> but you see it, you see it all the time. Number twelve is industrial mass production thinking. Yeah, this mindset of we can direct and manage the creativity required for innovation at scale in the same way you can make widgets. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we're a nuts. We're going to approach uh, innovation, creativity. Uh, problem solving in the same way that um, you make nuts and bolts. Yeah. Can you imagine? So it's kind of, <laughs> kind of, kind of crazy. And then um, number 13, this is where I wrap it out, which is I call it same game, same rules, same outcomes. And it's what's this about the greater business value and customer experience opportunities that come from digital transformation. Wow. And that's effectively going through the whole program of work. And if you like only incrementally improving the outcomes for your business your organization and your customer set. And it's like, that's not what you're here to do. It's a transformation. 
Um, you know, if you're using the language of big C, a big T transformation, mm-hmm. it should be a big T transformation and not a small C change. Excellent. And a lot of organizations use the language of big T transformation, but, but, you know, in reality, they're only comfortable uh, and wanting of a small C change. Yeah. I, I, I again, I, I salute you. I completely agree with the, <laughs> the T. That, that was that was fantastic and again you know if you, looking back at the 13 this is a this is a story of of health for me um and other for other sectors as well reducing that that friction and all of these things introduced in the sense friction you know get rid of these 13 deadly leadership sins organizational sins and you're you're on your way to um delivering real value um, and um, transformational change that can really impact. I think it's a more humanitarian mission that we're on. I was told the definition of being an engineer was to be human, you know, finding the easiest, most efficient, most beneficial way to do any task. So um, how that fits in the work that we are doing in terms of transformational leadership is to take all those parts, you know, connect the dots um, and look out for new opportunities whereby people can then collaborate and come up with new insightful ways of delivering or living, experiencing life, you know, which is, I think it's a humanitarian journey that is underplayed. I certainly agree with you. I think the other great thing is that we can use our humanness to actually deliver these experiences, right? It's the, the tools that we have available now in the, in the tool set um, digital data, um, and where it's going, you know, the, the portfolio of services that come under the bucket of artificial intelligence. They're actually just great enabling tools for people, humans to, you know, cre- they create space to mm. enable creativity, to cool. come up with these more humanitarian, uh, solutions and experiences. Really? So, you know, it's, it's, we, we have no shortage of problems worth solving, right? Exactly. And problems worth solving <laughs> of, of all kinds, right? Yeah. But it's around, we need the creativity and create the space for, for people to, to solve them. Um, and that's what digital and data and, you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence, that's what they provide. They provide the space for humanists. Excellent. So what are your... Um if you can get your, if you got your crystal ball in front of you, what do you see the future um, in terms of digital transformation? What big things, what big um, initiatives, or big piece of tech that you see on the radar that that could be influencing health, for example? I think there's a piece around uh, data that's used for true analytics. So. Um, you know, large, you might call it big data or everything, but really machine models or predictive models, machine intelligence, uh, which a lot of it is around automated business rules, kind of that a lot of that low kind of repetitive task driven health delivery more and more gets done by automation and machines. Um, yes, it's got to be governed and we have to be mindful of what we're doing with health because it's a very personalized yeah. kind of delivery. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, 
but more and more that there's a use of kind of kind of data to deliver these kind of mundane repetitive tasks, which opens up this space for the complex health journeys to be managed appropriately by peoples and for people to give that human experience um, more regularly, more often and, and wider without, you know, the machines are doing all these low order tasks and the people are doing all the higher order tasks in the health delivery system, whether that's coming up with new kind of treatments, um, new methods and, um, of, um, you know, diagnosis or even just being human when somebody's sick, right? Yeah. That's yeah. a major part of the, the, the health delivery system that often what happens is repetitive tasks, filling in forms or handing out, you know, that gets in the road of it. So more and more the machines do that. They do that in a controlled way and they can, you step it up. What was a, if you like a higher order task today becomes a low order task because you've kind of step by step built up towards that. Um, so that's one thing I see in terms of health delivery. I think the other part is just, um, making visible a lot more of what are the results of, of um, the interventions or the treatments that we're delivering today, what that actually means. And I'm, I'm not thinking of that in terms of um, this doctor is better than that doctor. Mm. It's just being able to use that data shapes what actually is really successful. Yeah, you're introducing you know, greater probability. Yeah, you're introducing a greater probability of successful treatments. Yeah, and being mm. able to scale, you know, the processing that data beyond the hospital. So ultimately being able to, you know, truly in 24 seven, always on being able to ship that data around display what the outcomes are for the whole of the UK or the whole of Europe or the whole, again, you've got to, you know, make similarities around treatment protocols and all this kind of stuff, but to make visible all that, which is essentially sitting in individuals' heads, right? Or, yeah. or, or a small number of people disparately disconnected is connecting that all together. Um, because we've got the power now with the machines to actually process all that data, you know, not necessarily do statistical sampling, do whole the population sampling ongoing in a cost-effective manner. Um, and I just think that will open up a whole kind of, kind of new new visibility, new opportunities that aren't available today because, you know, we're simply not in the, a lot of places aren't uh, able to process the information efficiently. Wow. Then that, that is, that is a future to behold. I can assure you of that. Can you imagine if the health status of the planet was there? It's planet earth has a headache or Sweden has a headache, <laughs> you know, and then doing, drilling down and applying an intervention that can cure the headache for a nation or in terms of, I'm just being very um, playful with the language, but in just in terms of population health management, how, how much is health influenced by external factors such as the environment, you know, street lighting, parks, you know, access to schools and um, education, um, policing, all of these things coming to bear in, in, into, so we have a more context. We under, understand individuals based upon their environmental factors. So I think, yeah, the crunching of that data, you know, with the capabilities of uh, Moore's Law was broken down years ago now. So we're at this exponential rate in terms of our process file. So yeah, I, I, that was, that too is one of the, 
the big themes I, I see happening, being able to understand that, harness it for the for 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 humanity. I think that would be excellent. I'm um, Simon. I'm very conscious of the time that you've taken up on your Saturday. Uh, I do I do appreciate that. How can people get hold of you? So just check me out on LinkedIn. That's the easiest way to do it. So just Simon Belusoff at LinkedIn. Um, happy to continue the conversation, Douglas. It's been fantastic to uh, <laughs> have this kind of Saturday afternoon chat, Saturday morning chat with yourself. Excellent. Um, I hope all the listeners enjoy uh, the content. Um, but, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Um, and look forward to, you know, all the best on your own kind of personal digital transformation, customer experience, innovation journey. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was, it was immense. I, I really enjoyed it. it. This show was how I foresaw saw it. I thought, you know, this is somebody just like me and the experience, you know, the examples that you give the 13, the deadly sins, you know, um, again, it's going to be a classic. I, I know this show is going to be a classic. And so Simon, on behalf of the Mic Drop Club, I want to salute you and thank you very much for taking the time out of your, your day. And we shall do more. <laughs> cool. if you want to take two anytime fantastic thanks a lot Simon cool. take thank care you. thank you for listening don't forget to check out micdropclub.com and get the show notes and useful links subscribe to the podcast don't just live life make life boom boom